Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Let's just put our hands on our hearts and just say, Lord, prepare me for what you want to say to me today. I honor you. I honor your presence. I value your presence in my life. Would you lead me where you want me to go today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're on our series of Resurrection People. And today, I want to talk about living in resurrection power. And I want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 in the message. It says, each of us is now. So just say, each of us is now. A part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained. You don't have to say the whole thing. I'll just take it over from now. This will be a really long sermon if we all have to repeat back. But sustained at one fountain, his spirit where we all come to drink. We are each a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit. You know, there is one way to live the Christian life, and one way only. That's sustained by the power of God's spirit. Sustained by the power of God's Spirit, the Spirit of God. Jesus said, I have to go so that I can send my Spirit to be with you. You need, you need my Spirit more than you need me. And so, the, what, what does the Spirit of God do? It, it initiates all the processes of change and transformation in, a, in us. It, the Spirit generates life and growth. In our lives, the, the, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will remind you, and he will lead you into truth. We're invited. Our invitation is to live a life where the influence of the Spirit of God grows greater and greater in our lives and leads us into greater and greater freedom and in truth. And Paul tells us, I'm going to, my, my primary portion of text today is going to be Galatians chapter 5, and he tells us how to do this and what thing, what happens in our lives as we do, as we do allow the Spirit of God to lead us. And so we're going to read this section, it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 22. The whole chapter of Galatians 5 is good. Actually, the whole book of Galatians is good if you want to read the book of Galatians this week, but that would be a long Sunday if I just read the whole thing. Galatians 5, 16, it says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, just a quick little biblical explanation. The flesh is all the desires in you that will destroy you. That's what the flesh is. If you want just a quick primer, it's everything that you desire that will actually wreck your life or it will wreck someone else's life. For the flesh desires 
what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires that what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, that's a confusing thing, isn't it? That little statement. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, what that means is if you are led by the Spirit of God, there are no laws required for you. The part of you that's led by the Spirit of God doesn't need rules. It does the right thing. It does the right thing. It lives by the law of love. But it also lives by the law of truth. Just a little theological explanation for you there. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And that's just by lunchtime. I am warning you about these things as I have warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right. There's a lot there, isn't there? Say, how are you going to cover that? In this section, Paul really contrasts two lives. He contrasts a life that is lived when we just seek to satisfy our own desires, when we seek just to make our flesh happy, he describes what that life looks like. And it won't look like that in 10 minutes, but a lifetime of pursuing the, the, the desires of the flesh, that list he gave, that's what it will look like in its entirety in time. But he also lists what happens when a life is led by the Spirit. And he, and, and, he, and he describes the character traits, the things that begin to fill or begin to become the characteristics of that life and how the expression of that life is experienced in not just a person, but in the people around that person. And he says, the person who lives by these things, they don't need rules around them. You, you, have, you ever, have you ever known somebody, it's just they just always do the right thing? It's like, well, we need to have policies for, for, for the people who do the wrong thing. But when people do the right thing, you don't have to make up any rules for them. They just do the right thing. You don't need to tell them. You shouldn't steal. They just don't steal. You shouldn't kick your dog. They pet their dog. And... Paul has a term. He uses a metaphor to describe what this life is. He, he said the life following the Spirit, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. He says this is the fruit. This is the result. And he's using this metaphor of fruit for a reason. He's trying to teach us something. A metaphor 
it, when you find metaphors in the Bible, they're, they're there intentionally because there's a lesson around the metaphor that is meant to give us a deeper understanding into, wh- into what the author is saying or what, to what they're trying to teach. And he's using this metaphor of fruit. It's not literal fruit. We're not going to start having plums hanging off our heads and... It's, but it's a fruit, it's the result. But there's, there's certain things that this metaphor of fruit teaches us. It's about having the right things growing in our lives and stopping the wrong things from growing. And it carries with it this picture of a garden. Now, gardens are pretty common in the Bible. It's a pretty common theme. We started in one, we end in one. And there's a whole bunch of illustrations along the way that always seem to involve garden, gardens or agriculture. And you know, one of the things, how many gardeners do we have in the room? Come on, be proud. You can wave here, you know, give me a sign, guys, give me a sign. God bless you guys. Jesus loves you more. <laughs> I love my garden. My only regret is that I planted grass in my yard, and I didn't just make the whole thing into a garden. There's something about gardens. But you know what? A garden is work. A garden is work. You know, I don't just walk out, you know, May 1st, I walk out with my packet of seeds and just go boop into the garden and then think, I'll come back and come back in the fall and see what I got. What will I have? I'll have weeds. (laughs) But sometimes I think people treat their faith almost like the same thing. It's like, well, I prayed a prayer five years ago. It hasn't made a difference. Hasn't. Yeah, there's weeds there. Because gardens aren't aren't one-time do something, and then walk away. Gardens are continual work. Continual care. Continual attention. And you know, the, uh, I, I have started my tomatoes. Do we have any other tomato people here? It's like, it's like the best. Like a fresh tomato off the vine in August or September... It tastes like nothing else in the world tastes. The taste of a tomato. Off the, you can't buy a tomato that tastes like a tomato that grows in a garden. You can't do it. And you slice that. You put it on some fresh sourdough bread. Yeah, I know. I'm talking your language over there, aren't I? A little bit of bacon or a lot of bit of bacon. Some nice, tasty bacon. And then those fresh tomatoes, a little mayo maybe. Yeah. The BLT. Nothing in the world tastes like it. But to get there takes work. And here's, you know, 
I have to start these things, and then I'll replant them. I've replanted some already, and I'm in the process, and then put them in bigger pots. And then in, in, in another month, they'll go outside, and they'll start, I'll have to harden them off so that they can handle being outside. And then, and then I'll plant them, and then I'll string them up, and then I, I'm going to weed them, and I'm going to fertilize them, and I'm going to continue to water them, and I'm going to keep checking them every week from May until August I have to keep doing all of this work. But here's where, the mar- here's where the metaphor actually gets important. In August, as I'm slicing that tomato and putting it on that pan-fried sourdough <laughs> bread, just a little hack-, hack tip here for take the sourdough and put it, like, take your pan, put like a quarter cup of butter. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not lying. Put it in there and then like soak that bread in the butter and fry it. And then make sure there's enough that both sides can get drenched in butter. Oh, it's so good. Okay, we're going to stop now and go have lunch. But there's, here's really where the metaphor gets important. In August when I'm slicing that tomato, can I say that I grew that tomato. I can't grow anything. All I can do is create conditions in which tomatoes can grow. That's all I can do. I cannot grow a tomato. I, if it was up to me, we're going to be eating dust. All I can do, the fruit of the Spirit, joy, love, patience, peace, kindness, self-control, gentleness, none of that comes from me. But I can create conditions in my life in which those things can grow and flourish. And so I am not the giver or the creator of life, but I can create conditions that make me receptive to life in the Spirit. And why does, Paul, why does he compare the result of the Holy Spirit's influence in our life to fruit? Because we can't do, we can't make the fruit, but we can, make, we can create conditions that are optimal for fruit to grow. But we can also create conditions that hinder fruit from growing. So to walk in this resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, to become the resurrection people filled with the Spirit of God, doesn't mean we get to just sit back, throw our Bible verse into our garden and come back in six months and see if our lives changed. It means continue, it means we become gardeners. It means we start to do the continual work of caring, creating an environment. So let's look at this. Let's, let's look at this passage in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, it says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Which we look at, that's our sinful desires, our sinful nature. So we have to ask our questions, what what are we walking by? We are all walking, but what are we walking by? Are we walking in a life that's led by the Spirit of God? Or are we walking in a life that's led by the desires of our flesh? Well probably a combination, isn't it? We do really good for a while. And then it's it's kind of like when you 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 resolve to eat healthy 
You do really good until like 8 o'clock at night. And then you see the chips on the ca- uh, in the cabinet and think, hey, I did good all day. Now I'm going to eat three bags of chips. See, this is coming from the guy who talks about soaking his sourdough bread in butter. But are we, it, there's this constant war between our, our flesh and our desire for the Spirit of God. And Paul is saying, keep working at creating this atmosphere where the Spirit of God wins. Where the Spirit of God can, can become that primary influence in your life. He encourages, us, he encourages us to walk as resurrection people empowered by the Spirit of God. And, the, you know, the Spirit is the Bible's way of talking about the real presence of God in our lives. It's not just a feeling. It may be a feeling, but it's a reality. God's, God's Spirit will lead us. And this is Ephesians chapter 1. It says, In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Now, that's a, there's a lot in there. But he said, he said, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, you heard the gospel of salvation, and what's, what's the key three words there? When you, you can say it out loud. When you believed, that moment that you believed something, something miraculous took place, there was a seal put on your heart. There was a seal put on you. It was called the Holy Spirit of God. You say, well, I didn't feel anything. You don't have to feel anything. The moment you believed, the Holy Spirit became a part of your life, a permanent part of your life. You got stamped. This one belongs to Jesus. And he starts working. He starts leading. But the degree of, of effectiveness of his leading <laughs> depends a lot. Um, are we creating conditions where the Spirit of God can lead us? Where he can lead us into truth? Where he can lead us into resurrection power? We have a foot in both worlds. We have, the, uh, we have the spirit, but we still have the flesh. And the, the challenge is we live in a world that is deeply compromised by evil. And it's been deep, deeply compromised by sin. We still live in the world, but to live in resurrection power, we cannot be of this world. The, the world can't be the primary thing that's forming our hearts, our opinions, it's so easy to have our opinions shaped by the world around us, isn't it? Galatians 5.17, it says, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. So in other words, we've all got a battle. We're all fighting every day. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. These two things are in conflict. And you'll experience this conflict today. 
I mean, as we gathered in this place, as we sang songs of worship, some of you, as you were standing here, you, you just felt the Spirit of God move through the room. You feel his presence. You, you think, I just want to live in the blessing of God. I just want to live with his presence. There's a, there's a genuine, deep yearning in our hearts. And as we, we smile at those around us, and as we, as we leave here, we're thinking, we're thinking I, I can't wait to, to get home and, and share the Lord's Supper with my family. And live in sweet communion with my wife or with my husband and my children as we all sit and laugh around the table. And then on the way home, Billy, touch me! And you're driving, and you're just thinking, Jesus said, don't suffer the little children to come unto me. <laughs> no, you're not. You're pulling the classic dad move. Shut up back there! Can't you see I'm loving the Spirit of God up here? By the time you get home, World War III is well underway in the household. The kids are fighting. Your wife isn't talking to you. We've solved that problem just by not being in the same vehicle together. We just drive separately. Everywhere we go, we just drive separately. You know what? There's no fights on the way to church. None. None whatsoever. Okay, that's not why we drive separate. <clears throat> but it worked for illustrative purposes. You know how we react in these moments? It depends how we've been tending the garden. It depends on what we've been, uh, what we've been fostering and cultivating in our lives. Whether we've been doing the work of weeding. Oh, I hate that. Weeding, I hate weeding. But weeds, they just grow by themselves. I don't have to do anything to get weeds. They just show up. And you know that in our lives, our spiritual lives, weeds just show up. But you know what? There's also enemies that show up. Like For the longest time, I could never grow lettuce. And it's like, how hard is lettuce to grow? Like, apparently to me, after about four years, I'm thinking, apparently I don't have the gift of lettuce because I can never get it to grow. And then one day, I am looking out the window, and there is a jackrabbit. <laughs> a jackrabbit in my garden. And you know which row he's sitting on top of? He's sitting on a lettuce. He's mowing it down every day. <laughs> you, we not only need to cultivate our gardens, we not only need to weed our gardens, but sometimes we need to grab the 12 gauge and shoot the rabbit. <laughs> 
There is a real enemy that does not want you to bear fruit. And I'm sorry. I'm actually not trying to do this. But if I don't deal with the enemy called my flesh, it will continually steal my fruit. It will continually steal my fruit. I have to deal with this thing called my flesh, my desires. And Paul defines what are the results of the flesh. He says the works of the flesh are obvious. Obvious, not subtle. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. Isn't it funny? The first things he listed are all sexual. Broken sexuality is some of the most... It's some of the most apparent works of the flesh is broken sexuality. And you know, the Bible doesn't have a restrictive view of sex. It actually has a very high view of sex. That sex is powerful and it needs to be respected. You respect powerful tools. I think it's the world around us that actually has a really low view of sex. It's common. Do what you want. It's your body. It's your choice. Just go get a nap and get hooked up. It's just a physical appetite that needs to be satisfied. And if it's not satisfied, you might explode. If sex wasn't such a big deal, why are so many counseling issues about sexual abuse And why does it take such a long time to work through those issues? Because sex is powerful. Then he he says, idolatry, sorcery, which in our our, our current context, we don't really understand what idolatry or sorcery is. Idolatry is when we worship something other than God as if that will make us happy. That which, it, it's, 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 what we would, it, it's what we derive our satisfaction from. And sorcery and witchcraft, again, not something we, it's not really a common term unless you're a Harry Potter fan. It's not something that's common in our world. But basically what sorcery and witchcraft was, was it was manipulation. It was using spiritual or intellectual power to, to manipulate others into doing what you wanted them to do. And then it lists eight things. And these eight things, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy. This is all about our relationships. When the flesh is out of control, this is what you can expect to show up in your relational world. Hatred, strife, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. How many want that? Don't put your hand up. (laughs) And then the last, it's all about self-control. Drunkenness, carousing, and then he just puts the blanket or anything similar. And what is this about? This is, basically, these are all things that show a life that's that's reeling out of control. These are the things that show up when, when a life has lost control of its desires. And then he puts on this, this, This last statement, any who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Any who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, that is not talking about heaven one day. 
That's talking about living in the reality of the life in the Spirit now. If you, if you practice those things, you will not experience reality, the reality of the life of the Spirit of God right now. It has nothing to do with heaven. It has everything to do with what reality we experience. In fact, if you're practicing those things, you won't want to experience the life of the Spirit. Because those things have become the substitution for what God wants to do. So then he goes on to explain what happens when we partner with the Spirit of God, when we create the, the conditions where the Spirit of God can work in our life. He cre- and then he, he says, this is the fruit. He doesn't say fruits. It's not plural. It's fruit. It all starts showing up together. It's one fruit. It's not a whole bunch of different fruits. Well, I'm doing really good on peace, but gentleness, not so great. These things grow together if we partner with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. Am I God-controlled or am I self-controlled? I'm both. I've created, you know, back to the illustration, like my tomato. Did I grow the tomato, or did the sun and the soil grow the tomato? Well, both. If, because if I didn't do if I just threw the tomato seeds in the garden in May and just let the sun and the soil do its thing, guess what? No tomatoes. So it's both. The Holy Spirit works with us. So self-control come from God or does it come from me? It comes from both. Does gentleness come from God or does it come from me? It comes from both. So then he goes on to say, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So... There's some work to be done. Crucified is not a nice term. Crucified means you have taken measures to deal with something. It's it's a serious term. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So I want to just finish with this. There's two types of practices that, that, create, that create an environment where the Spirit of God can transform us and, and lead us to live in resurrection power. There's two types of practices to foster resurrection life in our lives. And the first practice is resistance. It's resistance. It's, it's, it's habits or practices of resistance. And this is where you have to go after things. This is called crucifying the flesh. This isn't where you sit and meditate with a smile on your face. This is where you this is where you take measures. 
Acts of resistance, they're things like fasting, things like limiting entertainment. Resistance are things like going to bed early so you can get up early and pray. Or get up, you know, an act of resistance can be resisting technology so you can have a time of devotion or scripture. An act of resistance would be to say, I'm not going to buy that new toy that I want because that new toy is going to take time that I shouldn't be giving to it. I should be giving to something better. We need acts of resistance in our lives. That's crucifying the flesh. Everybody say, crucifying the flesh. I'm all in. Got quieter on that second part. Who crucifies the flesh? You do. Nobody can crucify your flesh for you. You must crucify your own flesh. Well, Pastor Mike, that's a really encouraging message. But the second, and this is, Paul called this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And the second practices that we do, they're acts of embracing. And this is how we keep in step with the Spirit. We, we carry out acts of resistance so that, we can, so that we can put in practice acts of embracing that lead us to places where good fruit can grow in our life. Embracing is practices like the study of Scripture, prayer, silence and solitude. Life in community is an act of embracing. Serving others is an act of embracing. Getting up and exercising is an act of embracing. And these things produce good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Let's stand up. I want to just I want to just challenge all of us this week, pick an act of resistance to say, what, what is something in my flesh that is getting out of control? And put in an act of resistance, a practice to put a, to put resist, to, to crucify your flesh. And then I would, I would encourage you, don't just stop there though. Put an act of embracing in its place. What's something that I can put in its place that will allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in my life and work in my heart in, in the way that he wants to work? Let's close our eyes. And Father, I pray that as we're here today, we've, we've sensed your presence. We've heard your word. And Father, we pray as we go, we would put your word into practice. That we would put your word, we would, we would take it and sow that word into that garden called our lives. And we would begin to tend it and allow it to grow and bear the fruit in our lives that you want it to bear. And to put our hands on our hearts and say, Lord, would you cause the word that I've received today to grow, to bear fruit, and show me those areas of my life where I need to go pull the weeds, where I, may, I, I need to confront the enemy 
And those areas where I need to embrace new habits that bring life to my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.